This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. Today is Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. And I'm your host, Luke Guerrero, who is excited to help bring you another informative episode of this program. But in truth, as you know, that's not entirely up to me. Because this program runs how you want it to run. You drive the conversation, and you can do that live on air with us over the next hour or by calling in anytime, 24-7, to 888-99-CHART. So before I preview our show topics today and talk a little bit about the market, let's kick it off by answering our first caller question. Hey guys, I'm just calling about Kraft Heinz, ticker symbol KHC, looking to buy it for a long-term dividend play. I'd love to get your thoughts. Thanks for all you do. So Kraft Heinz, for those who do not know, is a food and beverage products company. Very old company. It used to be Kraft and Heinz, and then there was a merger that was orchestrated primarily by Warren Buffett. Uh, He still, Berkshire Hathaway, still owns a very large percentage, over 25%, I believe, of this company. And even though over the past three years, the stock performance has been stagnant, he hasn't sold. He's still sticking with it. So that is certainly good news. Warren Buffett, a guy we all know and we'll actually talk about later in the show. Now, over the past couple years, sales have been a little stagnant, even adjusted for inflation. Adjusted for inflation, actually, they've been down. And so the leaders at the firm have actually blamed inflation for why their revenue has not increased. But there's new leadership that came on in the middle of last year. And he has made it a priority to cut costs, hoping to reduce costs by $500 million in unnecessary supply chain costs every year through 2027. And even recently, they affirmed their $0.40 cent a quarter dividend, something that they've consistently paid. It was reduced in 2018, but it's been a consistent dividend. Right now, it's yielding almost 4.5%. It's a $44 billion market cap company. It's got quite a bit of debt, about $20 billion, but most of it's pushed out beyond 2027. And looking at recent earnings announcements, it looks like some sentiment has shifted in a positive direction. I mean, overall, this company looks pretty cheap for a consistent dividend. Obviously, you shouldn't chase yield, but fundamentally, it does seem to be there. Rather, the company's fundamentals are there. Cash flow is up over a year, and profitability is pretty consistent. But most importantly, it's cheap. It's price to sales is 1.7 right now. It's price to book is 0.9. You're paying less than the value of its assets for this company. It is a cheap company. Who should they be able to turn around? I think could be a beneficial long-term play. Should they be able to consistently grow their business in a way they haven't over the past couple years, but refocus with new leadership? Thanks for the call. We got a lot of ground to cover in the next 45 minutes or so. 
And our main focus point concerns this question. What does NVIDIA's performance tell us about AI and the tech sector more broadly? Now, NVIDIA's AI GPUs are very popular. And so we'll go through a revenue breakdown from its most recent earnings report and talk about their AI semiconductor design a little bit. And should we have some time? Later on, we'll be talking about, I know we'll have time, we'll be talking about Mercedes-Benz and how they have shifted away from focusing primarily on EVs and what that looks like for not just them, but for the auto landscape. Also, China announced, well, it didn't really announce, but it came out that China might be doing some little bit of manipulation at the opening and closing of their market. So... We'll talk a little bit about that. And should we have time at the end of the show, Warren Buffett, who we've already mentioned once, has a lot of cash. And I'm not just talking about him personally, I'm talking about Berkshire Hathaway. Over $150 billion in cash reserves that has just been soaking in yield on short-term treasuries. As we turn a corner on the fight on inflation as interest rates fall, how might Warren Buffett think about using that cash, and how should we think about using ours? Now, we also have some caller questions in our voice bank ready to play, including one on discounted cash flows, favorite topic of mine, and BCC, Boise Cascade Company. And of course, as always, I welcome your live calls over the next 50 minutes, anytime you want to 888-99-CHART. Now, let's talk about the market performance today. U.S. equities were up. The S&P 500 was up oh, over 2%. Uh, lagged by the Russell 2000 small caps, only up just about 1%. The NASDAQ had its best day in some time. And most of that was driven by NVIDIA earnings. And so NVIDIA, who has consistently beat earnings over the past several quarters, I think on average by 14%, uh, beat revenue and earnings by, I believe, 8 and 10% respectively. And so that pulled up mega cap tech and all associated semiconductor companies primarily. Other than equities, treasuries are a little bit mixed. The dollar was unchanged and gold finished slightly down. And the high sec, the the high, let's see, profile secular growth tailwind still seems to be earnings growth, primarily influenced by artificial intelligence. Something that many thought wasn't going to be the case, as seen by the price action in Nvidia and a lot of semiconductor companies leading into earnings yesterday. Now, outside of company performance, initial jobless claims came in. A little bit below consensus, continuing claims, which I think are more important, who is unemployed and continuing to be unemployed, are also lighter than was forecasted. And existing home sales grew month over month, came in, coming in slightly ahead of consensus. Overall, outside of earnings from NVIDIA, the last of the Magnificent Seven names to report, there wasn't much going on and there really won't be until some announcements economically next week. Now we're going to do a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call now at 
888-99-CHART. Talk callers make each podcast unique. I was calling about Intel, if it's worth holding on to or should I sell it? Their questions are curious. Hello, I have saved up around $80,000 and I was wondering what I should do to make it grow. Careful. Oh, I'm just wondering, is this a value trap? Because it looks like it's gone down quite a bit. Concerned. Uh, it's taken quite the tumble today. I've been trying to get out of this position for a while. I think I waited too long. And clever. Does seem to be situated in some areas of expanding population. And Justin Klein, Steve Peasley, and now Luke Guerrero are always ready with their unbiased answers. And this is, uh, looks like a classic example of chasing yield. Don't chase the yield. Next 12 months price to earnings is around 30. I just don't see it at this price. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's take a quick look at your financial to-do list. At the top, make that phone call to the InvestTalk Anytime listener line, 888-99-CHART. Hi, guys. This is Kent in Texas again. Do y'all use a discounted cash flow model when you're evaluating stocks? And if you do in the discount rate, are y'all taking in this sudden increase in inflation like the 7% right there quoting today? I was just wondering how that would affect the model if y'all do use that. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Bye. So generally speaking, discounted cash flow models can be affected on both sides by inflation, right? Because you're increasing input costs and you are potentially increasing sales costs as well. In this case, you know, generally speaking, analysts who cover these individual companies, who give ratings, who write research reports, provide discounted cash flow analyses on individual companies. There are thousands and thousands of companies out there. It would be impossible for us to personally evaluate in a better way than the thousands of analysts that cover each of these companies. So from our perspective and from your perspective as an investor, it is more important broadly, certainly we do do DCFs, they call them, on individual companies, but broadly when looking at companies to not necessarily do your own discounted cash flows on companies, but understand the assumptions that these analysts are using. Because their job is to cover several companies. Your job is to find the several out of thousands that fit your investment needs. Thanks for the call. And my focus point concerns a company that, it's a small company, tiny little company called NVIDIA. And what does its performance tell us about artificial intelligence, the tech sector? And so NVIDIA's AI GPUs are incredibly popular. As can be seen by their consistent beating of even lofty expectations in revenue forecasts. And once again, for the fourth quarter, NVIDIA significantly outperformed Wall Street's expectations. The company posted earnings of 5.16 per share 
on, a, on an adjusted basis, far above the 464 expected. Their shares surged by about 16% today as a result of it. Its revenue reached $22 billion, beating the forecast of $20.6 billion. They were supposed to have $22 billion in sales. They had $24 billion in sales. And most of this success is largely attributed to the booming interest in large artificial intelligence models. And as we talked about on a previous show, when you look at the CapEx, capital expenditures of companies, if you look at tech companies, managers and leaders of those companies say that artificial intelligence is a priority in how they're allocating capital within the next one to three years. And especially within the next four to 10 years. Now, when you look at other sectors, those managers, those leaders say it's not as important in the one to three years, but in four to 10, it's incredibly important. So if you think about the market there, there is still not nearly as much spending on a company perspective on AI models as there will be in the future. That is definitely beneficial to NVIDIA and the industry as a whole. Because these AI models today are developed using NVIDIA's advanced graphics processors, mostly for servers. So on the backdrop of sustained higher demand for the company's GPUs, this shift towards generative AI amongst the tech sector, and as it's expanding out into different industries, is causing a pivot from central processors to NVIDIA's accelerators. So the company's net income of $12.29 billion for the quarter was a 769% increase from last year when they made 1.41. So where did all that growth come from? Well, the Hopper H100 chips, those are used in their servers. A lot of that actually came from automotive parts, healthcare sector. So you're already starting to see this expansion beyond tech in spending on artificial intelligence. Their biggest business, if you look at NVIDIA's revenue breakdown, is still their data centers, up 409% from a year ago to $18.40 billion. But it's not all smooth sailing. The company acknowledged in their earnings call, U.S. restrictions on exporting advanced semiconductor technology to China is certainly a headwind. And despite the improvements on the supply chain, they still think that there will be constraints for their next generation chips and that demand is going to far outstrip supply. And so NVIDIA has been successful because in reality, they're the only game in town and their technology is superior to others. But as markets grow, especially ones that don't have the economic moat, like we talked about yesterday, that maybe the airline industry has, plane, building planes is expensive, as an example. Other competitors will come in and they'll innovate and try and grab and try and grab at that market share. But regardless, once again, the earnings beat shows. Semiconductors are here to stay. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Lou Guerrero, hosting so that Jason, Justin Klein, not Jason Klein, but Justin Klein can enjoy another day off. And we're moving to a break. So call me now or anytime at 
chart. This is Invest Talk. Please tell your friends and family members that they can download our weekday podcast for free anytime at investtalk.com or iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And when you download and listen, please be sure to rate our podcasts. Our anytime listener line is open, 888-99-CHART. Hello, Invest Talk. This is Brian from Ohio. I'm looking at two companies. I was wanting to know if you could uh, do a head-to-head on them. It's uh, UPS and Crown Castle CCI. I'd like to hear what you thought about those companies. I thought they'd be a long, good uh, blue chip, long-term hold, either one of them. Thank you. So UPS, United Postal Service, and CCI, Crown Castle, are very different companies. UPS moves packages around. CCI is a real estate investment trust that primarily focuses in tower and fiber. And so you've heard my opinion over the past couple of days about REITs, especially buying REITs now. Their dividend yields 5.8%. You can get near that on treasuries. So where Warren Buffett's been parking his money for some time, 150 billion of it. So if you're looking for the yield, although this company looks like it has a little bit more upside than some of the other ones, given where it is in the tower and fiber segment of the REIT space and not the commercial office space, the risk isn't as much here as it is in other REITs. Still, if you're looking for yield right now today, you have a risk-free way of getting it, quote unquote, risk-free. Certainly there's duration risk, but you have a credit risk-free way of getting it with treasuries. So for today, I don't see a lot of these REITs as being a good place to put your money. Even if you're a long-term holder, you can kind of kick the can down the road a little bit. UPS is an interesting story. UPS is the bellwether, will you say, of the economy because they can give us hints about what freight looks like. And so UPS compared to FedEx, I like UPS more because UPS carries a lot more packages for Amazon. They have a lot more contracts with some of those big suppliers. But in 2023, they said that things were looking a little bit dire. How did that end up playing out? Well, sales were down in 2023, slightly, but adjusted for inflation down a little bit more. Their debt levels are pretty modest, $26 billion in debt on a $126 billion market cap company, and their short interest is kind of fair, 1.64%. Their dividend yields around 4.4%. Both of these are dividend-yielding stocks. And you see over the past six months, UPS's prices fall into the point where its price to sales is 1.4, cheaper than it's been for quite some time. It's priced to book value at seven is cheaper than it's been for quite some time. So in the long term, I think given the drawdown, UPS is a fine company. I think they will do fine. This is a difficult business to get into, to create the logistics to ship packages across the country. That's why a lot of Amazon's packages are shipped by UPS. And so if you're seeking yield, and that's why you want these two companies, don't chase the yield. There, there are more quote-unquote risk-free ways to get yield. But I think in the long term, both of these are fine investments, but they're also different investments. Thanks for the call. Now let's make it two in a row from a call that came in earlier to 888-99-CHART. 
Hi guys, this is Kevin calling from Southern California. I hope you're doing well and a great job this week to Luke hosting the show. I have a question regarding a, a company, Apollo Global Management, APO. I wanted to increase exposure in the financial sector and I came across this one. I mean, it's run up a lot over the past year, but I'm looking at their earnings and fundamentals. It seems like they're still lower undervalued compared to their five-year average as far as PE goes. I'm just wondering what your data might show as far as um, projected earnings for the next couple of years and uh, what you think about this company, even though it's run up, if you think it's still at a good buy price or you think a pullback to what price you think might be a good buy point. I appreciate your thoughts. Thanks. Well, thank you for the kind words. I really... You know, I really, this is honestly the favorite part of working with KPP is getting to talk with and, and answer questions. And so uh, I really appreciate those kind words. But Apollo Global Management, to get back into it, is an asset management company. So they do private equity. They do purchases. They manage assets. And so like any investment manager, something we talked about yesterday with T. Rowe, certainly a different kind of investment manager, what you're seeing is fee compression. So in the long run, you have to be a little cognizant that the landscape is, is changing as investments are more and more democratized. But this is a great company. I mean, they have very little debt and they probably have very little exposure to long duration debt, which is good. And their cash flow is fantastic. Their profitability been improving and the relative strength is great. Like you said, there has been a pretty significant run up, but even at that, the price to earnings is only 13. It's still a little expensive for my taste. Their price to book is four. As an investment manager, I'd probably like that to come down a little bit. And certainly with a run up like this, that'll probably be the case. I think you have some time to wait. I would keep this on my watch list. For me, it's still a little bit too expensive right now. There's short interest at 4%. A lot of people in the market look like they agree with me. Thanks for the call. Now, on the next Invest Talk, we will look into this question. Is your index fund tracking the right index? Understanding six qualities of the best indices can help investors choose among thousands of index funds. That's tomorrow. But for now, I'm Luke Guerrero, and I'm ready to take your calls anytime you'd like. The number is 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive 
at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. How they get there and when they get there, that depends on many variables. The more you learn about how the market works, the better your chances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is Jack in North Carolina. Um, really appreciate your program as someone who's just starting to learn a little bit more detail about investing in the market. was looking at my first move into metal, the metals space, into mining, and came across Pan American Silver. Ticker symbol is, what is the ticker symbol? Uh, don't know. It's not going to tell me right now. But either, either way, uh, Pan American Silver, I thought uh, looked decent. I just wanted to get your thoughts if now would be a good time to make a move into, uh, into this company. Thanks so much for your program and everything that you all do. And look forward to hearing your response on the show. Well, worry not. We found the ticker for you. It is PAAS, Pan American Silver Corp. And it engages in the operation, development, and exploration of silver and gold-producing properties and assets. They have two segments, their silver and their gold segment. So looking at this company, looks like it has been hit, but mostly because of the price of the commodity that underlies their assets. Looking at the fundamentals, they have $800 million in debt on a $4 billion market cap company, which honestly, pretty impressive for a miner. You can see miners that have a lot higher debt loads than this. But it looks like their interest rate coverage ratio, how much they make before interest and taxes, divided by their interest expense, which shows if a company can pay off their debts and how levered they are, was 1.31 in 2023. And so the benefit of investing in miners, for those who don't know, is you get exposure to the commodity without the extreme volatility because companies can pair back expenses when their revenue stream is hit, whereas if you only invest in gold or silver, you're just going to be exposed to the commodity. So the benefit of silver versus just gold, gold mostly seen as a store of value, is silver is used a lot more for industrial purposes. And so when there's shrinking demand, like there has been and like there's projected to be, these miners probably won't do as well. Now the converse of that is, if you invest in these companies at a time when demand has shrunk, when revenues aren't there, and the companies have strong enough balance sheets to persevere until demand returns... That's buying low and selling high. And cash flow here is fine. Cash flow is fine. Profitability actually ticked up in 2023. But they didn't make any money. Their earnings per share were negative 32 cents, but they're projected to make money this year and projected to make money the next year. Their dividend yields around three. It's pretty modest, but you can't make money, you can't pay a dividend. So looking at this company, frankly, until it turns around its businesses, which is mostly going to be tied to 
how the commodity performs, even though, like I said, the profitability is up and the cash flow is up, but they had four years before that where it was consistently sinking. So I need to see certainly a technical correction in the chart, but also a fundamental correction in the next couple quarters to show me that this company has a consistent future in positive cash flows. Thanks for the call. Our next talking point today is about Mercedes-Benz. And so Mercedes-Benz announced a five-year delay in its shift towards electric cars. So their previous target was to have electrified vehicles, which includes hybrids, make up about 50% of their total sales by 2030, so six years from now. That's their new goal. Their original aim was a little loftier. It was by next year. And so the shift actually reflects more of a broader trend within the industry because actual demand for electric vehicles, something we mention often, lags behind the aggressive investment and production plans of a lot of these companies. Even in Europe, that has been a leader in the EV transition, electric vehicle sales are unlikely to dominate traditional gas cars by 2030. Today, today, battery-powered cars only account for 11% of total sales. If you include hybrids, which still uses fossil fuels, it's still only 19%. Now, granted, the company, and they're not the only one doing this, said that they're still committed to their environmental goals. And so with this shift... How did the market take it? Well, the company's shares saw a 6% increase following the announcement, which was also buoyed by the $3 billion share buyback program. That certainly never hurts. And so this positive response, in my opinion, underscores a point we've been making, which is to fully transition to electric vehicles by 2030 is, and certainly by 2025, incredibly difficult. These companies are large ships. And turning a ship takes time. And it's really not all good news even with this shift because 2024 could potentially see lower and slower economic growth, even more supply chain disruptions and increasing geopolitical tensions in Europe, a primary market for electric vehicles. And that's likely to drag on sales as well. Even today, the supply shortages have affected their ability to produce electric vehicles outside the demand problems they have from people not wanting to buy them. It's really hard to get a hand on their 48-volt batteries that make those cars. And so this is a continuation of a trend that we've seen in a lot of companies by misunderstanding the demand for EVs. And I'm not against EVs. I think they have a place. But when you have the position that all cars must be electric, how do you, with today's battery technology and storage capacity of batteries, do long-haul trucking efficiently with a battery that needs a long time to charge? I've said it before, I like skiing. A lot of people like going to the mountains. It's cold when you go skiing. The batteries deplete very quickly in the cold. Hertz made a huge mistake 
in having a lot of electric vehicles available to rent. Let me know the next time you go on vacation and tell me if you want to sit at a supercharging station for two hours during your vacation. And so EVs certainly have a place in the future. But rather than a rush to something, like I think a lot of these companies did, banking their future on this shift, now it seems, justifiably, they're pausing, saying, we need to reevaluate. And as shown by the price performance of Mercedes, investors in the market agree. Now let's keep things moving and play another listener question from the 24-7 Invest Talk Voice Bank. You know the number, 888-99-CHART. Hey team, Chuck and Clayton. Thank you for all you do. Question for Justin and Luke. Of course, prayers for Steve and the family and a quick recovery. Hopefully he's doing well. Don't have much in the new AI space, so was looking at two companies. Robo, Robert Ocean, Boy Ocean, Global Robotics. It's an ETF and thought maybe it was a strong position to get into. But when we're comparing it to Infill, Ida, Nora, Frank Lincoln, Horizon Kinetics, was looking at the two of them, trying to compare and contrast, and wanted to hear your advice on them. Thanks, and thank you for all you do. First and foremost, thank you for the kind words for Steve. I'll certainly pass those along. But let's get into this. Robo, R-O-B-O, Global Robotics and Automation Index ETF. As the name suggests, it invests in robotics and automated related companies using what they describe as qualitative and quantitative research to make allocations across a global database of a thousand companies. So it looks like the fund itself holds 79 companies and it's not really that top heavy. Top 10 make up only 19% of the companies. NVIDIA is only 1.89% which suggests it's certainly not market cap weighted because NVIDIA dominates the rest of the companies that I assume would be included in this fund. The first striking thing to me is that 30% of it is in the United States in terms of revenue. You get some China exposure, you get some Japan exposure. It's industrial technology and healthcare companies, but its expense ratio is 95 basis points. That is incredibly expensive for 30%, 40% large cap companies, 40% mid cap companies. So let's take a look at INFL, which is the Horizon Kinetics Inflation Beneficiaries ETF. And so this ETF invests in exploration production companies, mining companies, transportation companies, infrastructure, real estate companies, and has significant exposure to, it looks like, financial companies. So these are two very different funds. One is giving you a lot of exposure to AI plays, industrial plays. This is... 42% financial companies, INFL. And its expense ratio is 85%. With 40% revenue exposure to the United States and 40% of the fund as large cap. So I think the lesson here is these, these are certainly different funds. They have different exposures, but they're also incredibly expensive. 
So if you're looking to get exposure to specific sector funds, if ETFs is the way you want to invest in some of these themes, you need to find ones, especially ones that have a lot of exposure in U.S. stocks, that aren't this expensive. These aren't small companies. It's not expensive to invest and operate in large and mid-caps. I think there are better plays out there. I like where your head is, but I think there are better, cheaper ways to do it. Thanks for the call. Now, the first quarter feels like it's moving pretty fast, and that's because it is. We're already closing in on the end of February. And as we've been telling you for a while now, we are in a new market environment. So serious investors, like I know you all are, need to be able to adjust their thinking and strategies to fit the times. Let me remind you that here on Invest Talk and at KPP Financial, we operate with the philosophy of independent thinking, shared success. We offer unbiased guidance, practice parallel investing where we invest alongside our clients, and implement our investment strategies ourselves. I encourage you or your loved ones or friends to take advantage of our offer to provide a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or GoTo meetings, and send us a message anytime through investtalk.com. This is InvestTalk, and we're closing in on 58 million downloads, and it is all thanks to you. Now our work continues in about 30 seconds, so hang on. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. Everyone's situation is different. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. And so are their questions. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I'm wondering if now... 24-7, rain or shine, InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. I've been listening for a long time to your show and I've learned a lot. Really appreciate it. Recently sold a house and what I'm doing with the proceeds of the house is I've decided to buy corporate bonds and hold them to maturity. Merrill Lynch has a secondary bond market where I buy bonds from people who already owe them. And my question is, when I look at these bonds available on the secondary market, can I trust basically that whether I'm paying above par or below par, and after I pay accrued interest, can I trust that if I just hold that bond to maturity? And if not, can you tell me what to look for when I'm shopping on the secondary market? Okay, thanks very much. Yeah, well, certainly when you're looking at bonds on the secondary market, credit risk, which I think is what you're talking about, if you hold the bond to maturity, will you get your money back? Credit risk is going to be baked in. So bonds that have excess credit risk, because there's a risk that the company defaults, meaning you don't get your money back, or rather you get in line and get before a judge and get it back in order of seniority. If there's credit risk, it should be baked into the price. Nobody should want to buy a bond where there's a 50-50 shot that you don't get your money back at par. So if a bond is calculated, or rather its price is calculated, in a way that is not too far off from the interest that you get plus the maturity discounted by a discount rate over the amount of time you're holding that bond, then generally you can trust that you're going to get it back. Or at least the market is suggesting that you will. There's always risk. There's always credit risk. Even if you buy a bond from Apple, the likelihood of Apple's going bankrupt is incredibly low, but it's non-zero. It could happen. 
And that's going to be baked in. That's how prices in the bond market work. They take into consideration the risk of holding it to maturity. Thanks for the call. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Luke Guerrero, and we have one goal here to help you achieve your financial freedom. And our work continues after the break. So get your questions in now. 888 99Chart. Everybody wants a secure financial future. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. I have a quick question on this stock ticker BCC. Boise Cascade engages in the manufacture and distribution of engineered wood products and plywood. This stock is like part of the housing industry. So I just want to know if this would be a good stock for this time during a uh, downturn in the market. Thank you very much and have a good day. Bye. So BCC, I don't have to explain what it does because the caller was generous enough to do that for us. But over the past year, looking at their fundamentals, their cash flows dropped off a little bit. Their profitability has fallen as well. And most of that is because housing production was down. And so their Q4 net income was $97.5 million, 17% decrease from the year before. Their sales increased slightly, so a little mixed bag in terms of earnings. But it's their fourth consecutive quarter of free cash flow decline, something that is a little bit alarming. But knowing the market dynamics of what's going on within the housing market, it's understandable. And so their CEO expressed some optimism, as CEOs tend to do for this year, saying that the company has a strong balance sheet, which... It does. It's got very little debt, $541 million on a $5 billion market cap company. It's also been issuing some shares, not too many, but issuing some shares over the past couple of years. But if they can maintain liquidity in their balance sheet, which it looks like they are, they have almost a billion dollars in cash, it looks like it's well positioned to take advantage of when the housing market and rather house development starts to recover. But keep in mind, even before 2020, home builders, or rather the housing market, still wasn't what it was before 2008. So if we move back to 2008 levels, pre-2008 levels of new housing permits and housing construction, that could be really beneficial to this type of company. And the market seems to think so. It's had quite the run-up over the past year. And so the question becomes is given this, is it too expensive? I don't think so. It's price to book value is two. It's price to earnings is 11. It's price to sales is 0.7. So in a time like this, when there's some struggling going on, it certainly can be a good time to purchase companies such as this. But I will say what gives me pause is the significant run up over the past really full year. And so given that, and it looks like it took a little bit of a hit in the past couple of weeks, I would wait to see where this thing starts to find some resistance before I plow any new money into it. It looks like it's consensus ratings are a hold right now, but with still some slight upside and analysts are not infallible. But I would certainly wait to see a little bit given where it's been and especially given it's 
modest short interest where the price goes before I would put any new investment in here. Thanks for the call. Now, before we call it a wrap for the day, let's talk a little bit about China. And so China's reportedly implemented a ban on net sales of equities during opening and closing 30 minutes of trading each day. And what that means is major institutions are forbidden from reducing their overall equity exposure during these times. And why would they do that? Well, they want to stabilize the market by limiting large net sales and equities during these critical periods of liquidity, if you will. They also think it's going to support these brokerages that they call the national team and enable them to prop up the market. And they didn't come out and say this. They actually kind of denied it a little bit. The regulatory authority said that they don't intend to intervene in normal market transactions, but they didn't notably deny it. And so if this is true, this is a pretty significant market intervention. Now, they may see it as a way of trying to rein in hedge funds and algo traders, which can have a negative effect. But overall, as investors, the most important thing when investing in a market not, is not as it undervalued. It's can you reliably transact and get cash out when you want it? And this is a step, in my opinion, if it's true, in the wrong direction. Now, I'm Luke Guerrero, and this completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and your family members about our free podcast downloads. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And please be sure to review and rate us on iTunes. Remember to follow us on social media and learn more anytime at investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.